Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Howdy, one and all, and welcome along to episode 96 of the Howie Games Party. Super to have you along for the ride. I hope you're all enjoying the fact we are dropping one episode a week at the moment. Just a little bit of listening love for you if this show is your thing. This week, finally, after so many requests from you good people out there, I know I've dropped the ball along the way, pardon the pun, but finally we have an NRL guest on. I know it's been too long and I've appreciated the reasonably persistent feedback along the way, but hopefully the wait has been worth it because we are going top shelf in the NRL this week with former player and now super coach Craig Bellamy. So you search and try to find But you don't know where to go So many thoughts flood through your mind You're confused and want to know Mystery, what is to be So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by For a man that has achieved so much in his chosen sport, the vast majority of the population, me included, don't know a great deal about Craig, which, as you're about to hear, is the way he likes it. I'm really only a casual observer of rugby league. I like watching the finals, the big games, obviously state of origin. But it amazes me, as a sports fan, year in, year out, how Craig and the Melbourne Storm have been able to assemble a team often laced with players who have struggled elsewhere, players that have been rejected along the way, and turn that group into yet another formidable outfit. That's coaching, I reckon. You're about to hear how Craig and his team does it, and in a nutshell, it's by keeping things really simple. Craig speaks in depth about coaching, the big three in Cronk, Smith and Slater, the effect that the salary cap scandal had on him and the Storm, as well as his upbringing, the loss of his father, his playing days and plenty more. Can't they see they hold the key Could make things better if they try Oh my Jaja, tell me why Won't they open up their eyes Being a man, we typically only hear from him press conferences. I wasn't exactly sure what I would get from Craig, but on reflection, he could not have been more open, engaging and entertaining. He is a great guest. What he's not great at, though, is technology. Trying to get Craig to set up a Zoom meeting, send WhatsApp messages or receive an email, as you're about to hear, is nigh on impossible. Technically, not so good. Coach-wise, absolute superstar. Enjoy the master coach, Craig Bellamy. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion Well, this has been a year and a half in the making. Welcome to the Howie Games. The coach of the Melbourne Storm and former NRL player himself, Craig Bellamy. Craig, welcome to the show. How are you going? Yeah, I'm going all right. Howie, it's uh, obviously uh, different times. You know, um, know, it's been a few difficult things, I suppose, but there's a lot of other people in a lot more difficult positions than we are in in the rugby league world but um it is different it, it is strange and um you know basically uh, we've had to adapt to a, a bit of a new lifestyle we'll get to the coronavirus a, a little bit later on but uh I, I reckon i emailed you 
got a year and a half ago through your wife's email account and you have just told me three minutes ago as we were trying to set up Zoom, which floored me that you do not have an email account full stop in your life. No, I, um, well, I, used, to have, I used to have one when they first came out, but um, I found they got a little messages on there that didn't really concern me, so I just found them uh, time wasters. So uh, basically I've, uh, I've done away with email, so uh, if it's text or, uh, or basically telephone call. So how do you operate in, in a modern sporting environment in a club of the Melbourne Storm when no one can email you? I find that fantastic and extraordinary or holding a one, Craig. Well, I've got a couple of guys at the club that probably protect me a bit there. Frank Panisi is our footy manager. Um, a lot of people in the game now, certainly at our club do, but also other people in the game, they know that um, um, I'm not an email fan, so they basically they want to send email to me. They send it uh, to Frank, so... Um, yeah, I, I usually get a second hand through him, which, which is good. And or if it has to go to the coaches, um, usually our uh, head assistant Jason Rolls, you know, does that for me. So as I said, I, I just found them. I spend the whole heap of time on nothing. So uh, basically, deleted it. What other technology have you not embraced? Like, are you a man that who uses Uber or are you a Netflix man? How do you go with the rest of the modern world? Yeah, just through this crisis, I've uh, I've worked out how to use um, YouTube and Netflix to watch a couple of uh, shows there. But other than that, I'm pretty um, yeah very basic with the uh, technology. Um, but um, you know, I know how to use all the programs you know for, for me footy. You know what I need to yep. watch and and find out. So uh, that basically uh, uh, gets me gets me going as long as I've got a. Uh, uh, FaceTime so I can uh, talk to my daughter in the Gold Coast and my grandkids across the other side of the city. Um, that's all I need. What are you watching on Netflix? What have you dialed into in these times? Yeah, well, I just watched um, the Michael Jordan thing. Um, I only seen the first two oh. episodes there last week, so uh, I thought that was you know, quite interesting. I think it's going to get even more interesting you know, by the look of it. So, uh, yeah, but well, I, I'm not a big TV watcher, to be quite honest, but, um, yeah, stuff like that at this stage... Um, is quite interesting and, um, like I say, it'll be interesting to see how, uh, how, how it all, uh, I suppose there'll be a lot of twists and turns in it and uh, be, be good to see the end of it. Um, there's one that heavily features Phil Jackson, the coach, and Dennis Rodman, who was obviously the wild man on the side, and he talks about, Craig, and I think it'll fascinate you, he talks about how at one stage they just let Dennis go to Vegas for 48 hours. It turned out to be 100 hours, but he had to let off some steam and he talked about you can't, treat every player the same way. I found it a fascinating approach from a coach that this bloke was getting the job done on the court, so he gave him a certain amount of rope off-field. I, I think you'll love that part of it. Yeah, yeah I think um, yeah, I think that's the same for all of us, and not only sporting teams, but, um, you know, people in your businesses and in your teams, you know, within a business. I think you know, there's obviously a lot of uh, different personalities um, that need to be handled you know, a, a different way, you know, you, you obviously want the best, um, the best you can, you know, out of them. But at the end of the day, you've got to work out, you know, what that is and what makes them tick and what doesn't make them tick. I think, you know, at times there's got to be rules for everybody without a doubt. Or, you know, I don't really like using the, the, the word rules, but um, there's got to be a, a bit of common sense that, you know, sometimes we're all going to um, make sure we're doing the same thing, the right thing. Uh, for the team, uh, but you know, on the other side of that, there's also some things that you need, or you need to be aware of what you know, what I suppose interests 
um, you know, what ticks a box to, to, to get them motivated. Um, you know, so th- th- there's a whole heap of d- different things there, but at the end of the day, there's there's some things for me that everybody needs to adhere to, but there's also some other things where you'll get get a few guys. You know, I suppose a good example for us is Kevin Smith. You know, he's played 400 games. Of, of you know, he's been in 18 years. So there's a, yep. a lot of times the last couple of years that you know we give him early in the week off. Um, you know, our training because he doesn't really need it. You know, and uh, he certainly doesn't need the knowledge, and he certainly doesn't need the physical part. So. Um, as long as he turns up on Sunday and you know, keeps getting his job done like he has been, you know. So uh, yeah, so it, it is interesting, and um, I, I'm not quite sure. Uh, and I, I've read a few books, uh, well, a couple of books that uh, Phil Jackson wrote actually, and um, yep. yeah, it, it would have been a very, very, very interesting character, Dennis Rodman. So um, <laughs> I think, you know, I think Phil's, you know, certainly a little bit different in, in his own right as well, without a doubt. Yeah. You know, he's not like a lot of the other coach or lot. A lot of the other American sports coaches that I've read about. So um, I reckon, you know, probably Dennis Rodman was very lucky that he had Phil Jackson as a coach because I'm not quite sure how many. I don't think Bill Belichick would have uh, appreciated um, Dennis Rodman's behaviour. So you've never had a Melbourne Storm player turn up uh, in a dress or dyed their hair in four different colours, etc. Actually, it's a bit of a, a trend at the moment heading that way. How we. Um, haven't had anyone turn up in a dress, but um, all of our our ruck forwards at the moment, or most of them, um, they're yep. supposed to be our big big tough guys. Uh, they're all getting their hair dyed at the moment. There's actually one that's got okay. blue hair, and then there's a heap <laughs> of the others. Um, we got two two Kevin Kamika. He's a Fijian. He's 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 bleached his, and uh, yeah. So uh, hopefully it, it doesn't go as far as you know. Wearing dresses to train more games, but um, yeah, I think they're a little bit bored at the moment. But uh, they're all having a bit of a laugh, so uh, yeah, we can put up with that. Craig, um, often I I know people well that I do this podcast with, and I, I'm I don't actually think we've met in person before. So I tremendously appreciate you um, taking a punt and coming on the show. You know, I obviously work in the Melbourne sporting landscape, and this is what your is eighteenth season. You're about to, well, you're embarked on with a storm. So your 18th season, how is it through design or not that we know so little about you? Uh, I don't know about design, you know. Um, I think I'm a, I've always, I'm a guy who's always relied on, um, you know, my work ethic. So, and I don't, I don't like my, my players taking shortcuts or anyone on our staff taking shortcuts. So if I don't want that from, you know, the people in our organisation, I, I can't afford to do that. So basically, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on, on playing, you know, playing my role in the job I've got at the Storm. So um, like I say, I, I don't, you know, go hide and, um, if someone wants to talk to me about something. But um, at the end of the day, especially, you know, during the season and, um, you know, there's also a lot of things happen in the off-season as well. So... Um, like I say, I like just to stick my head down and just make sure I get my job job done and um, uh, just keep my nose in my business and uh, and go from there. Can we start at the start with you? Um, I know you're from a really, really small place and I want to get to coaching, but I also want to get to the Canberra Raiders when you're a dashing operator with a nice mullet too, which we'll get to. But <laughs> where'd you grow up? Tell me about your mum and dad because you've come from a really, really small part of Australia, be fair to say. Yeah, I come from a little uh, little town called Portland. It's in New South Wales. It's the same spelling as uh, Portland in Victoria, but um, whole heap different. Um, certainly not on the... Uh, 
uh, you know, on the ocean. You can't see the ocean from Portland. It's uh, it's about three, three and a half hours straight west of Sydney up in the back of the Blue Mountains. Uh, very industrial town, um, you know, very blue collar. When I grew up, there was a cement works in the middle of town. Um, now that cement works closed down, still there, but um, a lot of coal mines and power stations. So basically, as I said, it was a really blue collar area. Um, um, I've got an older sister, Gail, who, who's still in, in Portland. My mum still yep. lives in Portland. I think she turned 87 um, a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, unfortunately, my, my dad, um, he was killed in a, um, a work accident um, at the cement works. Um, going, what, uh, what happened to him? Uh, he got crushed. Um, oh. in, in a, in, in, obviously, a work accident. Um, so, yeah, it's... Going, well, that's going back nearly 40 years ago. Well, I think it's about 40 years ago, so it, it, it's a long time ago. But um, How old were you? How old were you, mate? Um, yeah, I was about, 20, uh, about 19, I think. Yeah, 18 or 19. So I was, How did um, you handle that? Yeah, it was, it was tough, real tough. But um, at the end, end of the day, it's, you know, my mum was the, the one that we, um, you know, we, you know, that we, we, we had to look after and, you know, my sister... Um, you know, she lives with my sister. She got a granny flat um, underneath my sister's house. So I've always felt a little bit guilty about, you know, being in Canberra and then being in Brisbane and then, you know, being down here where, um, you know, I don't see my mum a whole, whole heap, but um, you can imagine, that, you know, that shook the family up a whole heap. And um, But having said that, around those times, um, you know, work safety standards was weren't, like they are now. There was always, there was probably, you know, back in them days, two or three, um, you know, accidents where guys got killed in in the coal mines and there was, you know, some certainly as I grew up, I'd remember, you know, guys getting, you know, killed in their jobs at the cement works. It wasn't a common occurrence, but it, it did happen and um, there was a lot of, uh, you know, people, I, I know a lot of, I suppose, you know, people that got businesses and, you know, they, they complain about work sta- safety standards. Um, you know, when you've been on the side of the fence that mine and my family's been on, um, you know, the best thing that's ever happened in the workplace is bringing them safety standards in because, um, you yeah, know, going back to that time, you know, the safety standards, you know, were really poor and um, like I say, that's, it, it's a whole lot safer for, for workers these days. Without dwelling on it, mate, obviously it's a, a tragic story in your family. How, how, how did it affect you? How did it shape you as a young bloke? You know, you're 18, 19, you're starting to find your way in your world, in the world. Yeah, well, I was at Canberra at the time. I'd just, just gone to Canberra and, um, yeah, I, I, you know, like, again, I, I, I felt guilty, you know, about, you know, going home and, you know, I think I spent about two or three weeks at home, but I remember my you know, mum and my sister saying, you know, the season was just about to start in Canberra and they said, you know, you know, we'll be okay, just get back and, you know, go and go and play your footy. You know, me, me dad never ever played any footy. He was he was a, um he, he was a real bushman, you know, he loved uh, his fishing and his shooting and um and I grew up on a lot of that, you know, and I really enjoyed my time doing that. But um the footy thing come from my mum's side to be quite honest. So um and uh, she's always, you know, been a a mad fan of, um, you know, of footy and, and she's fought her, wherever I've played that, she's probably been our number one fan, if not a number one fan, probably the loudest, um, you know, when she comes <laughs> to watch us. So sometimes you don't see me, mum, um, 
at the footy, but you can hear us. So uh, it was great this year. Actually, we played uh, Penrith round three up at Bathurst, which is about 40 minutes away where I come from. So um, um, I remember a couple of reporters saying to me, oh, you know, it's great being back to where you basically grew up and you got family coming up. And I said, yeah, my me, me mum and sister's coming up and, um, you know, a couple of the... Uh, um, I think my uh, me nephew come up as well and uh, I said oh, actually one of them said oh, do you think I'd be able to meet uh, your mum and I said um, probably not you know I, I'm not quite sure you know I've got the tickets but I'm not quite sure where she's sitting but if you you know, if you cock your ear, you'll certainly hear her and you'll, you'll know who to go to. So, um, yeah. But I think she was uh, sitting up amongst a few other stall people and uh, you know, they said she was quite loud. So, um, yeah. So who did you first play rugby league for? Who was your first team? How old were you? Um, I think I was, um, would have been Portland. Um, uh, I think four stone sevens. But back then it was always weight. So you went through, I think, four stone sevens was uh, the early... Um, you know, the it first. was done by weight, was it? Not age. Yeah, you always really? at the start. I, I, I can't. You know, again, it's obviously a long time ago, but I remember jumping on scales. You used to go down to the local co-op at Portland. Um, they line <laughs> you up in your classes at school. So all the boys, yeah, okay, jump in the line. We go across and weigh you. And as, as they weighed you, that's how they put you into teams. So I remember <laughs> when I was a fairly big kid as a, um, you know, as as, as 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 a younger boy. But um, and I, uh, I was playing with you know. Kids, you know, two and three years older than me, you know, so it was strange. I think I think it was about under under elevens when actually the, the age come in. I, the first age, um, you know, team I was playing with, I think it was under eleven. So um, that's a long time ago. And I think at, at that time you had to be a, under a certain age and under a certain weight too. So and then basically it just went to age and um, yeah. So I, I played with. Uh, Portland, you know, the Portland Juniors, um, you know, the senior team was called the Portland Colts. Um, yeah, and they, actually, my dad was a, a, a wonderful, uh, you know, support. You know, he always went and watched me play footy. And um, basically, when I first started, it was all it was all about the school. You know, you always, the, the school organised all the rugby league, but then the school sort of drifted out of it. And um, he was on a, uh, a committee there, there was four of them, that actually started Portland Junior Junior Rugby League. And, you know, he, right. uh, he helped run for a bit so um, yeah so he, he was always real support and, I, and whatever I did he always supported me and um, uh, he's you know he, he had a few sayings as all you know guys were brought up in the, the Australian bush um, have but he always used to say to me mate hard workers get lucky and uh, sometimes you don't get lucky as soon as you'd like but if you keep working hard you'll, you'll get lucky at some stage and I've always sort of stuck to that um that little saying, that little brief, I suppose. It's a great saying. I um, I am no rugby league expert by any stretch of the imagination, so I don't want to uh, wander into areas that I don't understand, Craig, but uh, I read a little bit about where you played and it struck me because I reckon I read that you played in a place called Oberon. Oberon, yes. Now, I, I went there. We used to live in Sydney and Dad took us there for a camping trip for Easter once and all I remember is it didn't stop raining for five days and it was bloody freezing um, and that was Easter time. So she would have been a cold old place to play rugby league. Is that where you started playing with the men in Oberon? Yeah, I, actually, you were lucky it was only raining. Usually it could be snowing <laughs> any time of year up there. Um, it was yeah, freezing, well, it, it, it was about 45 minutes away and, um, you know, by the time I sort of, you know, grew that up, I left school when I was about 15 and got a, an a, a electoral apprenticeship, which, you know, all the guys did then. You know, you left school at, 
you know, 15 or 16 and, and got an apprenticeship because there's that much industry around. It, it, it wasn't hard to, you know, to get a, an apprenticeship like it is these days. But um, So what do you do? You're, you're a sparky, are you? Spark, well, what was it? And um, I think most people I work with would agree, not a very good one, but, um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm not quite sure I was uh, cut out to be a sparky for too long. But I've done my apprenticeship and I think I, you know, I worked about another three or four years there, so, um, um, you know, in, in that trade. Um, yeah, like... Portland had a when I was a kid, you know, I used to go and watch them, you know, play, you know, the, the first grade in the in the group tent competition, um, and then I can't remember what year, but they, they they dropped out of that. So there wasn't they had a senior team, but they played in in the second division in group ten. So um, the last year I played under 18s, uh, I decided to go up to Abram, one of our school teachers. Um, I'd left school by then, but was playing up there. So we basically there was four of us from Portland that went went travelled up, and um, we played um, our last year of under 18s up there. And then I think I played another four years in first grade. But it, it was a great. I've got you know lifelong uh, lifetime friends from up there. I still meet up with um, two of the guys I used to play with from Oberon um, when I go home at Christmas time. Um, you know, obviously go and see my mum and sister and stay there and there in Auburn. We always meet a little um, little town called Taranar, which is, you know, I don't know, it's about 200 people in Taranar, but there's a pub there like every country town and um, <laughs> the boys come down, we have a can of lunch there and just a couple of beers and, and then, you know, that, that's sort of the only time we sort of meet up during the year, but it's, uh, oh, I really How tough for- was it? How tough was the footy? Oh, it was um, tough. So what, what are we talking? The seventies, are we? Yeah, early 80s? Uh, yeah, we're talking the seventies. Yeah, yeah, all through the seventies. I think I started playing over in seventy six, um, and what I can remember, like you, you know, like I can't. I don't think I've ever been to a colder place than than Oberon, and um, <laughs> I haven't been to South Pole yet. But um, if I do, that that that, that might surpass Oberon. But I can remember getting dressed in the middle of winter, and um, you know, in in the dress rooms, and obviously, you know, they were rough and ready, the old dressing rooms back in them days, but they used to have little five-gallon drums of, um, you know, like, and they used to punch holes in them. And <laughs> Abram's famous for its timber. Um, you know, they make up um, house frames and whatever. So they used to get all the all the cut-offs. You know, a few of the guys that worked out there, they'd bring all the cut-offs. And we'd have four or five of these five-gallon drums around the dressing room where we'd have wood in them and, and they'd be on fire so we could get dressed around them, keep your hands warm and your feet warm. <laughs> feet warm. Because back in them days, you didn't warm up. You just got dressed and, and off you went, you know. So, um, yeah, like some of them, that seems unbelievable, you know, to what happens these days. But th- th- that's what it was, you know, and it, it was it was a very, very cold place to play. And the only, the only game I've ever played in that got called off was um, at Oberon and it was because of the weather, how cold it was. I still remember I was playing first grade today and we had, um, there was uh, our captain coach, was a guy called Gary Taylor who actually come from Portland. He was he was our mm-hmm. captain coach in Oberon at that stage and a great uh, local player, Snags. And there was a, a guy called Louis Newman. Um, he was a South African and uh, he'd actually coached and played in eastern suburbs in Sydney for the Roosters. So he'd come up and he was captain coach in a side called Orange X Services. And uh, we were playing X Services this day and it was... It was just the, the ground was just slush and mud, and it was snowing, sleeting, and the, there was a you know a wind like a hundred miles an hour going. I still remember, 
Anyway, a few of the boys come in, you know, reserve grade were playing because you always used to watch the first half of first grade, and the, uh, reserve grade, and then go and get dressed. Mm-hmm. See? So a few of the guys come in and they say, hey, we can't play, Dave. We can't play out in that. In that. That's terrible. So Snags, uh, Gary Taylor, he went and seen the referee and the referee said, hey, if you guys are uh, happy enough to call it off and take a point each, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. I don't want to go out there and referee in these conditions either. So they went and seen the, the coach of uh, the ex-service club, this uh, Louis Newman. He said, no, no, we, we want to play. So we went out there in the first half and it was just a, uh, it was just a slop fest. And, you know, it was nil all at half time and we come back in and, and it was just freezing. You know, all the guys, most of the guys that had played in Abram all their lives, they used to, in the middle of winter, Besides having a, a, a jumper on, they'd get a garbage bag and poke a head through the bottom of it and out the side. So they put their arms through and their head through, and that's what <laughs> used to keep you warm. You just sweating. I remember I tried it one day; it was too hot. But anyway, so <laughs> half time he says, "No, no, we want to keep going." So we went out, and I think in the first five or ten minutes, oh, no, ten or fifteen minutes, I think we scored a couple of tries, you know. And I think I remember the score was sixteen nil, and and uh, and then because that. The, the coach of the other side, he, he wasn't playing. He was just sit, sitting on the bench. So I think one of their players come over and said, hey, we, we, we've had enough of this. Call the game off. So our bloke went up and said, as long as you call the game off and we get the two points because we're ahead. And their captain said, yeah, no worries, no worries. So that, that's the only time I've ever been involved in the game. It's got called off. So um, And that's how bad the, um, the conditions were. But, you know, they, they were often like that. So it was um, it was a wild and woolly, obviously, uh, there wasn't many cameras around then and you often, you know, you pass the ball and, you know, five seconds later someone, that you know, try and knock your head off. So uh, it, it was all a heap of fun and it was uh, a good education for, for what what was to come, I suppose. So, so you moved on as a as a professional footballer and you go to the Raiders. Were you there again? My rugby league history is poor. Did you go to the Raiders as they were starting up? Yeah, I went there the first year they started. What was your contract? Do you remember? Yeah, I, I, you know, I got three years at um, $6,000 a year. Right. Was that all right at the time? That's probably better than a Sparky. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, yeah I, it, it didn't matter to me probably at, at that time just to get started what the, the money was. But back in them days, we were still working too. You know, so it was um, yep. it was train Thursday, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, go to the pub after training and then turn up on, on Saturday or Sunday and play and you, know, you just keep doing that but um, yeah it was and it was certainly tough you know the first couple of years at, at Canberra you know like to bring a whole heap of blokes together that didn't really know each other and then have to go out and perform against you know the elite of, of rugby league yeah. it was tough but you know we learned some some lessons I suppose uh, along that um, along that road and um, it was and you know after five or six years, we had some really good players start coming into the club. You know, Mal Meninga, you know, Steve Walters, Gary Coyne, then Ricky Stewart, Laurie Daly, Bradley Clyde, you know, some of those. Gary Belcher was one of the really good players too. All those guys come basically within two or three years of each other. And, um, you know, all those guys were superstars. So, um, but I think, you know, the guys that started there, they had a great understanding and how hard it was. And, um, you know, it was... Uh, it, it, it was tough going those early years, but um, you know, I think it was only about seven or eight years, you know, before the Raiders won the premiership. And um, yeah, like I say, so it was very, uh, very rewarding um, in, in the late eighties, early nineties. So, one hundred and forty-eight games. Here come the Raiders with Jackson, an overhead pass, and the Raiders are in. I think you'll find Raiders are. 
87, they played in their first grand final, but you were out injured, so you wouldn't have played in that one. No. Uh, 89, they won their first premiership. And there it is, one point lead to the Canberra Raiders. You didn't get a run. Were you well, were you playing during the year? Did you miss out come finals or where were you at that point? Uh, the late 80s there, like probably from, you know, 87, 9, you know, so I said all those. I was, I, I, I was, um, I, <laughs> I described myself when someone said, what, was, what sort of play were you? You know, that didn't see me play. I, I was, I, I tried that, you know. <laughs> that, 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 that's Probably my and, and I was quite versatile, so I could play in a few positions. So well, you played everywhere, like yeah. every, like every different season, you're playing in a different spot. Yeah, but I, I, you know, at the end of the day, I I probably wasn't too happy about that at at that stage, but um, because I was always when everyone was fit, I was always playing reserve grade. You know, in, in the late eighties, um, but when someone got injured, I was you know usually the first one or two in. You know, so. Uh, the players certain positions. So at the end of the day, I, I always had that mentality: just go out there, do do your best for the team, and and whatever will be will be. So I was on the bench in '89, but I, I didn't get a run back in them days. I think you had four replacements, but you could have as many players as, as you liked on the bench. Um, so I didn't get a run um, in uh, that year, but we made the grand final again in 1990. And yep. um, I actually, I, I ain't played uh, five or six minutes, I think, uh, um, but that was probably the highlight of, of my career. You know, we, we had a win over Penrith. But I actually played reserve in the reserve grade game the same day th- that year in 1990 and uh, we got beaten extra time. So um, I was the captain of the reserve grade side probably because I was there. So on the same day, on the grand final, you, you lost in extra time and then you won a senior premiership. Yeah, so how, how, <laughs> the, how it used to work back then, I think, um, you know, the, the interchange and the, and the reserve rules changed a lot. Um, and I think in 1990, you could have two fresh reserves on your bench, and but you could have four replacements. So... Two other guys could come in on the bench that played reserve grade that day, but they had to have played at least a half a game. So we played that that day, and I didn't really sort of expect because we had two fresh reserves, and you know we went extra time. I think we played hundred minutes or something like that. Um, so, but I, I was you know just so you know, and I'll always be indebted for Tim Sheens to, to put me on. You know, it wouldn't have been an easy decision. Like, I think we were only up about four, only won by about four points when he put me on. So, um, but like I say, it was the thrill of a lifetime, you know, being um, being there grand final day, you know, when the siren went and you're on the field um, and, and you've won. Uh, there's no feeling like that. Inside the Penrith 22, Alexander's lost the football. What does that mean to you to be a, 
a premiership player. Like, as you said, you've described it, you've come from a working class and you said you weren't the most talented player. What's it like when you then, you, you know, you've seen and coached a lot of blokes to it now, but what does it mean to you to be a, uh, what was it then, the Winfield Cup? The Winfield Cup, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, as I said, as far as playing goes, that, that's been the highlight of my career. And to be quite honest, it probably is a highlight of my career. I always, uh, you know, I don't want to... Uh, play down coach's role, but I've always, I always enjoyed my playing more than I enjoyed my coaching, to be quite honest. Um, I think when you're actually out there, you feel, you know, and you're getting dirty and sweaty and you're actually taking the knocks, you know, you feel a bit more, um, uh, I suppose, part of it than when you're sitting up in the box, you know, telling someone they should be doing this or hoping someone will be doing that. So I've always... You know, I think I always got more enjoyment out of um, out of playing than I, I do out of coaching. And having said that, it's a it's a different thing with the coaching. You know, obviously, um, you know, just being part of of a team and being responsible for helping players be the best players they can be, and then helping your team to be the best team you know they can be. You know, that that's obviously rewarding as well. But um, as I said, for me, it was always I always got more enjoyment out of playing than I have coaching. More of Craig in a moment. Next week on the show, and I am truly pumped about this. For mine, one of Australia's most interesting footballers, two-time Brownlow medalist, surfer, truck driver, traveller, and plenty more, Nat Fife. How did you go wandering into the gym the first time when all those big boys are in there and little skinny Nathan Fife wanders in? (laughs) It was... uh... As I, I can imagine you feel when you walk into a gym yourself, how it's quite intimidating. <laughs> the only difference is I'm mid-40s and you were 17. You've changed. I haven't. This is true. This is true. Um, <laughs> but thanks for bringing that up. No, no worries. I was 69, 70 kilos at the time and uh, I remember our first day we did profiling, testing, and the first thing we had to do was um, like max chin-ups, body weight yep. chin-ups. <clears throat> yep. Now, it was in the afternoon and for lunch, as someone who didn't really understand a high-performance diet, I'd help myself to a doner kebab <laughs> and a can of Coke because <laughs> I'd been working as a welder for the previous year, so that was sort of standard lunch, you know. Um, and so I've gone to do this, this um, max chin-up test and I think I registered two and then on pull-ups I've registered four or five and I've got Anthony Morabito who was drafted pick number four, a man mountain, who's just crunching them out at will and having a chat whilst he's doing them. Uh, and in that moment I genuinely thought, well, there goes there goes your chance of playing footy ever. Um, these people know you're a fraud now. So it was extremely intimidating those first couple of weeks. That's Nat Five next week on the show. All righty, let's go back to Craig. So what was it like to stop playing? You, you know, I've, I've had yeah. the pleasure of speaking to a lot of athletes on this show and some have a plan and, and they're ready to go. Others are like, wow, what am I going to do now? Obviously you went into coaching, but was it a difficult transition when you stopped playing? No, it was, it, it was, it was interesting actually. Like, like, you know, I think, you know, I thought when I was 20 years old and then, you know, so I've gone to join the Raiders, you know, most – Players back then, in those days, you probably had 10 years. You know, and when you're 20 years old and you say, yeah, you, you've probably played this, you know, for, for, for another 10 years, that's a lifetime. That 10 mm-hmm. years is never going to end. But it, it ends and it, and it comes quickly. It comes real quickly. And that's always tell these players now, you know, you, you've got an opportunity. You want to make the most of it now. You start waiting and then it will just pass you by. 
Um, so I think I was about, th- I think I, re- I retired when I was about 34. So I think I was about 30, 31. And it sort of dawned on me, I suppose, that, you know, this is, this ain't going to last forever now. You know, like the, the 10 years is up, the, the, the end's getting close. So I always, I always enjoyed the training. I always enjoyed about, you know, being around um, the other players, you know, the banter, having the beer after the game, having the beer after training, you know, that, I always just enjoyed the game, you know, and um, so I thought, well, you know, I, you know, I can't, I, I just can't play for the rest rest of my life, so I want to stay involved. I, you know, I want to stay involved in this game. So basically I thought, well, if you can't play, what are you going to do? So because, as I said, I was a very hard tryer um, and, and, and my strength really was, you know, I was fit. You know, I, I trained really hard, you know, and um, so that that was probably my main, oh, I suppose, you know, that, that was, that that's what was important to me. If I hadn't trained as hard as I did, I, I wouldn't have, you know, played it in the NRL at all. So so I started doing some strength and conditioning courses, to be quite honest, and that was going to be my way of staying in it and, you know, staying in the game, staying involved. Mm-hmm. And um, But it's a funny thing, in um, in, in 92, Tim Schoenig, who was a, the Raiders coach at the time, he, he'd come and tapped me on the shoulder and he said, um, mate, I've, it, I, and, and Tim was a lovely guy. He didn't like to, um, you know, he... He didn't like to, you know, give you bad news too often. You know, he always sort of found a, a good way to give you bad news. Um, he said, mate, they're, um, next year, would you be interested in coaching the under-21s? Basically, that was Tim's way of saying, hey, <laughs> your, your playing days are gone, but um, <laughs> would, you, would you be interested in coaching? The, 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 I, don't, I don't know whether he... I'd have to ask him, but I don't know whether he really wanted me to say yes or no to the coaching thing. So, <laughs> but I, I was looking at getting in the, in the strength and, and conditioning area. That that was basically you know my thought. But when he offered me the, that coach's job, I thought, well, yeah, well, um, I think it's a nice way to tell me it's, the playing days are over. But yeah, so that this is my chance to stay involved. So yeah, so I, I accepted that job, and um, you know I I done that for three years and. Um, the third year, we, we, we won a competition. And then it was funny, after that, um, I, I got promoted to uh, the reserve grade job. Mm-hmm. So during that time, you know, um, again, that was the sort of the height of the Super League War in, in 97, where the, the competition actually split. You know, we had, we had, we had two competitions, the, um, the ARL and, and, and yep. the Super League. So, you know, Canberra was obviously in the, in the Super League side of it. And, um, you know, we got through that year. And then I actually, um, I was, you know, really good mates with Kevin Wallace when he, um, when, when he was at, at, at the Raiders. And uh, so I went up to see him for a weekend after that, that season and um, we were out, out the back of his place. I was enjoying the sunshine, having a beer next to his pool. Anyway, next next thing I hear the doorbell ring and um, anyway, so Kevin's gone to the front door and the next minute Wayne Bennett walks through and you know I'd only known Wayne he'd come down to coach the Rays in 87 I didn't play a lot in 87 I, I had a shoulder reconstruction so um, you know I didn't get to know him overly well I don't think but anyway he come out I just saw you know, a bit of general chit chat and then he, he, he before he left he offered me the the strength and conditioning role or the performance coordinator was the title of the Broncos. He offered me that job for, for the next year in 98, you know, when the comp come back together. So, and I reckon you could answer this over three hours, but if you had to say, because he's a mercurial character, because 
We just see him press Wayne conferences. You are, well, I'm talking about <laughs> Wayne, yeah. I am. Like, I see him in a press conference and I think, wow, I'd love to get the opportunity to chat with him at some stage because I, oh, I just laugh at what he doesn't give the media. But if you, had to, if you had to say one thing that you took and used yourself, Craig, from the great Wayne Bennett in your coaching, which we'll get to when you got to the storm, what, like, could you distill it in one thing you took from him? I think the biggest thing I, I took from Wayne was um, his his love for the Broncos, his love his, his love for the club. Now I don't know whether that love has been a bit um, a bit diluted you know, yep. over the late. He's not there anymore, and he, you know he's left. Talk. But he he loved that club, and how well he, he say love. He had a great care for the club and a great care for the people inside that club, and you know having them relationships with players. That you know, current players, but also you know, players from the past, and I thought that was uh, that made a tremendously strong club. So when you talk about relationships, I'll skip forward. I'll get you back to starting at the Storm, but obviously in the in the last few years, um, when you've been out of contract, um, you know, it blew up with is are you going to go to the Bronx and is are you going to take over from Bennett and like how does all that work when you've got like long form relationships with these guys? You know, you've learnt your trade under him, and then in the media, it was playing out as a bit of a war, Craig. It was it was extraordinary at the time. The NRL coaching merry-go-round has roared back into life with the Brisbane Broncos admitting they're chasing Craig Bellamy and Wayne Bennett, claiming he's already had offers to coach elsewhere next season. Brisbane today confirmed they are trying to lure the Storm coach back to the club when Bennett's contract expires at the end of next year. Bennett remains keen to see out his deal and says there's no way he'll coach side by side with Bellamy next season. That's not going to happen, okay? That's just not going to happen. At this point in my life, I've still got a lot to offer, but that's another decision. Wayne, you just coaching and not a pipeline? Yeah, I will at the end of the day. I don't want to, but if that, if that happens, then I will consider that. I've already had a couple of office before i had my chat i was assured that wayne knew that the chat he knew about the chat and um so yeah so like i say i'm sure uh me and wayne will catch up at some stage and um you know have a bit of chat about things i don't know we'll chat about this but um like i said you know it's i was assured that uh yeah he knew that the chat was happening yeah i like like at the end of the day it's you know i think um a lot of things get blown up in the media we've got to they you know, do they do we've got to get we've got to make it interesting so people buy the you know buy the papers and and, and watch it you know the the <laughs> sports shows you know so um yeah you know, having said that you know like um i'll you know i'll never ever forget you know tim for the opportunity you know he give me at um at the raiders and i'll never forgive wayne for um, you know, giving me the opportunity to Broncos because it was all, it was a great education f- for me and it was, you know, if, another thing I learned, you know, there's more than one one way to skin a cat, you know, because Wayne and Tim did do things a whole loop differently. But, you know, at that time, you know, along with probably Jack Gibson, they were probably considered, you know, the best coaches ever in our code, you know. So, um, so like I say, I, 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 there's some things that, that happen, I suppose, and, you know, there's always sport, brings out the emotions in people and strong emotions. Um, yes. But for me, at the end of the day, it's, you know, I just sort of concentrate on what, what I can control. I, I try not to worry too much about what I can't control and, and just go from there. But as I said, I, with those guys, you know, if I, I run them into the street, you know, I'll, I'll stop and say hello and have a chat with them. No worries, I don't care, you know, what else has happened. But um, And sometimes it, it might be 
as bad as people make out, no, but other times it ain't. So uh, at the end of the day, we just, uh, I, you know, I, I forget the people that, I'll never forget the you know, people that, you know, give me opportunities in life and especially footy. And, um, you know, you, you always got to be grateful for the, the opportunities that you have got. So let's talk Melbourne Storm. We mentioned at the start you, you're into your 18th season, which is fantastic. Before we get into the nuts and bolts and coaching and 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 some of the things that have happened and some of the players, which I'm fascinated about, mate, what does the Melbourne Storm mean to you now? Not as a coach, just just as part of your life. Like, what does the Melbourne Storm mean to you? Oh, that's a good question. I, yeah, like obviously uh, it means a whole heap to me, but with all due respect. The people that I've that I've met, work with, been involved with, um, that's what makes the club. The people in the club, you know, again, the colours, the the emblem, yeah, you know, whatever. All that, you know, is is really important to me, and you know, it sort of grabs at me at, at me hard at times. But you know, it's been the people that have made the journey what it has been. Um, and again, you know, you, you don't. You don't have a journey for 18 years and it's all um, beer and Skittles. You know, you've got to have some downs there as well and, you know, we've had plenty of them, um, but we've had some amazing highs and it's basically been because, you know, of the people that have been involved at the storm. And the, the, the other thing I suppose, you know, which goes back to what I was talking about, you know, as a player, like I, I, I've, enjoyed, I've enjoyed my playing career more so than my coaching career. And and I've got a great belief that, you know, we, we need good officials, we need good coaches, we need good strength and conditioning coaches, doctors, physios, all those things. We, we need good people in those positions in clubs. But at the end of the day, it's what, what the players do on the field that ends up being what the club's about. Champion players, champion club. Melbourne wins another one. They're the, they're, they're the ones that paved the path and they're the ones that, you know, I suppose end up deciding what your identity as an organisation is. And, you know, and I'm a big believer in, you know, you can't be a, a good player and go out and play well, consistently well, week in, week out, if you don't do the right things off the field as well. And I remember, you know, Jack Gibson, who's probably rated, you know, if not the best coach we've had, ever had in our code, probably right up there with him. He had, he had a little saying, apparently Jack didn't say too much, but when he said <laughs> something, you listened. Um, he had a little saying, he said, you can't, you can't play good on the weekend if you're a dickhead all week. And so basically what he's saying, if, you're, if you go doing the wrong things off the field, you don't train hard, you know, you go, you know, Obviously, back in them days, I'd imagine it was, you know, if you have two or three nights on, on, on the grog, you know, that was part of our yes. probably culture back yes. then. But I, I think that's so true. You know, you, you can't play good on the, on the weekend if you're going to be a dickhead all week. And, um, you know, I think that pretty much sums it up. So, so you as a coach, you've mentioned as a player you're a hard worker. I spoke to a couple of people over the last couple of days and they said that, that that's what you come down to as a coach and you mentioned hard work. What time... What time do you normally get to the club of the morning? Uh, I think Robbie Kearns um, 
made a statement there about two years ago about how, you know, I was always in at five o'clock in the mornings and first one you see, like, that's not true. <laughs> I get in fairly early, um, but it all, all depends what the date is. If we've got an earlier start, well, I'll get in early. Sometimes I do get in at five, half past five. But if we've got, you know, sometimes these days, you know, we don't start to lunchtime, you know, so yep. those mornings I might get in at eight or nine o'clock, you know. So I always like to do, um, you know, my training before we start start work. So always get in and, um, you know, um, still do a little bit of training and um, and then. What are you doing? Are you, are you are you running? Are you on the treadmill? Are you throwing heavy steel in a weight room? What are you doing, Craig? Uh, well, I basically do three cardio sessions a week and three weight sessions. So and I'll do a little okay. bit of walking in between. Like I'm I'm sixty now, so I certainly don't train like I used to. But um, yeah, I still think you know. Um, I remember reading the thing about Dick Dan. Dick Van Dyke once, and a lot of people know, know who Dick Van Dyke is. I think he's about 94 now, but he, he was a, quite a movie star uh, back in the day. He's in Mary Poppins, one of my favourite ever movies. And um, I remember they asked him once, you know, what's the secret to, you know, he was 90 at, the, at, at that age, you know, uh, at that stage, what's the secret to, you know, you're, you're living so long and, and, you know, still doing what you're doing. He said, just keep moving. And that's mm-hmm. always stuck with me. Just keep moving, and uh, I think that's a really important point for everyone. What do you like about Mary Poppins, Craig? Oh, I, I, was, I, I, I don't know if it was the first time I ever went to a, um, a picture theatre, but it was close. And I just remember oh. I, I loved it a, 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 as a kid. I'm probably a bit embarrassing now, but um, no. But I, <laughs> and was, you know, if it comes on the TV, I always uh, sit there and, and, and watch it. And um, yeah, I thought it was, uh, yeah. like I say, I think it was probably the first thing I've seen at a, uh, at a cinema, actually. I'll get you to talk to me about hard work, but someone told me a story yesterday about you that um, you're looking at the opposition attack uh, generally these days for the Melbourne Storm, so you're trying to figure out how you need to defend. Have I got that right so far? Yeah, yep. That, that's, that's what I see as my main role. Um, yeah, we've we all got roles as players and coaches and um Basically, our, mine is the team defence. That, that, that's So if, that's if you're working on the team defence, again, it was explained to me in the edits, you can look back at the last X number of games, the last next team you're going to play and look where they scored their tries and that's where you're setting up your defence from. This person, who shall remain nameless, um, who only had wonderful things to say to you, everyone only has wonderful things to say to you, said that you brought up a bit of vision and saying, okay, this team, we are playing them next. This happened six weeks ago and it wasn't from a try scoring edit. It was a bit of general play where they didn't score a try and you said this could happen. This could happen next week. They didn't score a try but they may attempt it against us. And to this person that was telling me the story, they were like, well, Craig could have just gone and looked at the tries in the edit and that would take a fair while. But he's obviously going back and analysing the game minute by minute by minute. And that was an example that they were telling me about your work ethic. I, I don't know if this is a, a particular point that you remember in your mind, but is that what it comes down to to you to be a success is your work ethic? Yeah, yeah, without doubt. And you know, to me, I, I think if I just, I just, if we got opposition this week, if I just look at, all their tries or all their line breaks for the last six weeks, that's taking shortcuts. Right. To me, I've got to watch the whole game to see how did that break come or how did that try come. And sometimes it might have been, it might come from two minutes before. So if you just go in and clip on their tries, you're not going to see that. So that's that's the thing I'm talking about, taking shortcuts. It's easy to, to go and look at the big things. You know, I sort of pride myself on, you know, 
find them the little things, the little things that our opposition build their game on, build their attack on, and um, you know when they're at their most dangerous. Sometimes it's not just when they you know, they go through the line or go over the line. You know, it might have been something that happened. You know, five or six tackles before or two minutes before that. That that's where that try has come from. So, so I try and you know find out. I suppose the source of of of, yep. of why why they're a good attacking team or why their attack is is, is what it is, and then uh, and, and then try and build on that. So if it comes down to work ethic, how do you then treat others within the organisation, whether they be players or staff? And we're not talking about specifics here, but how do you treat others when you see that they don't have a similar work ethic to you? I guess in a playing sense, because this is obviously what you built your playing and your coaching career on, work yeah, ethic. Yeah. Yeah, again, that's that, that's the, the thing I, I look at in new players to our club, um, players that we might be looking to sign, to sign. you know, you do your homework at you know, asking other people about their work ethic. At the end of the day, like, again, you know, it's, you know, I'm not fanatical about, you know, they have to do this and they have to do that or whatever, but what they need to do is get their job done. So one of my biggest jobs is making sure that every person, not, not, not players, every person that comes into our, into our operation, into our club, understands what their role is. Because um, sometimes I can get a bit confused with that, so that's probably the first thing I sit down to a, a new person, whether it's a physio, whether it's a player, wherever it is. This is what this is your main responsibility. This is what we need you to do, and if you get them done, you're not gonna. I'm not gonna come and interfere and um, you know talk to you. But at the end of the day, that's no one else can do this job for us. It's your job. It's your role. It's your responsibility. And I, I just think that, you know, if, you know, when you've got responsibility, you, you take pride in getting that job done. And if you don't, well, you know, you're not passionate about it, so you know, go and do something else. So with your players, also talking to a few of your players, um, all of them came back to the same theme, Craig, is that as complex as a game it can be in modern sport, they were all saying that you make their role so simplistic. You give them maybe two things to do and one of those things is always, in all their words, Craig, stick your tackles and we'll be all right. Stick your tackles. <laughs> yeah, that might be a little saying that I've got, I know, but like I say, at the end of the day, I, I you know, I'm, I ain't the smartest guy in the world either, so, and I don't like complexity and I don't, I, I don't think, I think at times people make our game too complex um, so I just think it's for everyone involved, the more simple things are, the more simple we can make them, the more simple they can learn about what they need to know about. So instead of complicating things and because I find the complicated things usually are, are not the, the complicated things are not the things that happen most often. It's the less complicated things that happen most often, and that's what you've got to be aware of. Not if something happened, you know, the oppositional. We've done, you know, two things within six, in, in six weeks. Well, you know, at, at the end of the day, that's not a, a common trait. You've got to find the common traits, you know, with our own team and with the opposition, um, and simplify things for our players so they understand it, so that they're really clear. 
I don't want him going in there thinking, oh, is it that or oh, it might be this. At the end of the day, it's got to be really clear. And as I say, I I find I, you know, I operate a lot better when I look at things in a, in a simplified form. And I think most people do. You're about to get simple now because frequent listeners to my show know that I've got a couple of young kids, Craig, an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old that I always tell them a bit about the person and they get to ask a question each. So before we get to the storm and the premierships and the grand finals, you now get a question from my 10-year-old daughter whose name is Sky, but as you're about to hear, she has a nickname that, uh, as again, frequent listeners will know. Um, This is a pretty simple question, but one I probably didn't have the nuts to ask, so she's asked it for me. (laughs) Hi, Craig. Pickle here. Obviously, my nickname is Pickle, but I don't know why Dad gave it to me, but I like it. But I heard a rumour that your nickname is Baliak. Who gave it to you and why is it that? Well, Pickle, um, <laughs> that came a long time ago. Um, when I first went to the Raiders, yeah, there was a few guys that come to the Raiders from Mackay. Um, Don Fern at that time, he had a... A, um, a bit of an association with Mackay Magpies. I think he actually captain coached them, um, you know, in the 50s, I think. So Don had some spies up there. So there was four guys come down from Mackay. Uh, and there was one a guy called Kenny Shuttleworth. And uh, he, only, he was only there about a year or two. He, he never played any first grade. Um, but he was an electrician as well. So... Um, when the Raiders started up, they their new home ground was Suford Oval, so they had to do a lot of you know um, recreating and you know up, update you know the the ground itself to make it you know possible to play NRL games there. So me and him were doing all the electrics over there, and um, and I am well, I was, I probably still am. I am a bit of a winger, um, so. <laughs> Um, and he, he just took it, you know, everyone used to call me Bell. That that was my nickname. But then he started when I whinged about a few things, him not, you know, he used to, I always used to have to dig the trenches and he used to um, lay the cables in. So I always <laughs> whinged uh, uh, telling him about that. So um, so he, he just called, started calling me Bellyache, Bellyache, Bellyache. And then all of a sudden <laughs> that come up at train and then I didn't like it too much, but it's you know it's just spread now. So um, that's how I got that nickname. Now, whether that's fair or not, Biggle, not everything in life is fair, but um, <laughs> uh, it, it has stuck. So hopefully, uh, if you like that nickname, maybe it sticks with you. If you don't, I hope it goes away. Well, I will continue to call you Craig. Let me get that on the record. That is the end of Craig Bellamy Part A, but the coach is only just warming up. So please join us for Part B. Listener.